Have you got it? Show me your Bible if you got it. Okay, hold them up. I want you to make a confession with me. I want you to say, today, the Word of God has a truth for me. It will speak to my heart. It will renew my understanding. And I will be enriched. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus, in the fifth chapter of Matthew, as any Bible student would know, had taken his disciples and he had gone to the northern part of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, and he had ministered to them there. He had talked to them about blessings. He had talked to them about uh, everyday pragmatic Christianity, what was going to be involved in, in their lives. And then he went on to elaborate things of, that were going to be required of them, how the world would look at them, and how they would have to react. And when we come to verse 17, which is the key verse we're going to look at, read with me, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Hallelujah. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And Jesus was speaking these things to a multitude of people. And if you want to boil that statement down to what it contemporarily speaks to us today in this message today, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to destroy. I came to bring you fulfillment. God's got a fulfillment for you today. Can I tell you, Jesus' ministry from the time he spoke those words till today hasn't changed. He's still not coming. It's the, not the nature of God to destroy. It's the nature of God to refine and to edify, and to, to fulfill a life. Jesus came saying, I've come seeking the ones who were lost. The ones who were lost. These are the ones who don't quite know their way today. With the ones who are seeking a new direction in their life the ones who are seeking a new answer in their life. It's not only salvation. Let's look, let's, when we get to words in the Bible that start talking about deliverance and freedom and liberty, it's not just as, as some of our friends try to say everything leads to salvation. Well, it's true. In the beginning it does, but after the salvation word is spoken, then it starts talking about fulfillment and delivery and, and freedom in a life. God wants you and me to be free and at liberty. He wants us to be fulfilled. So the title of this message today I'm bringing to you, it talks about fulfillment. Is it heavenly or earthly? Fulfillment, heavenly or earthly? I've heard it said, Christians sometimes get so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You've probably heard that. And that's true. 
I know people who are so righteous, you can't go get them to talk to a lost person. Or they wouldn't dare go in to talk to somebody who's, who's a downer-outer. Or somebody who's wallowing in the slop of their sins, literally. They only want to associate with those who wear the Madison Avenue designer suits and dresses. They don't have time for those who are the downs. I'm telling you, God came to bring fulfillment in their our lives. Jesus is saying, I'm coming to fulfill you. He says, I have come only to destroy the works of Satan. And once those are taken out of a person's life, the natural, the obvious, the intuitive things that speaks to all of us, when Satan is, is neutralized and the works of darkness are neutralized in your life, goodness has to flow into that. Goodness has to come where evil has been abated. Jesus says, I've, I've only come to destroy the works of Satan, but we've got to take this, get it beyond the salvation experience. True, but I want you today to start seeing that God's ministering to liberty to you personally. He wants to destroy the works of Satan in your life personally. When Satan's got you constrained and bound and, and locked away in problems and, and all kinds of things that war against the liberty of your mind, you can't be everything God wants you to be. You can't serve two masters. And we say, that's talking about money. No, I'm telling you, your mind can't serve a problem and it can't serve the liberty of God. We need the liberty of God flowing in us, and it's available. He says, I've come to, to fulfill that for you personally. You see, we've got to understand that God's not worried about Satan. You with me? God's not sitting up in heaven worried about Satan. We worry about Satan a lot more than God does. I know some people's ministry... All, the whole thing of their ministry is worrying about Satan. That ought to be part of our ministry, certainly. We need to be warning people and renewing our lives. But I'm telling you, we serve a God that's big enough not only to deal with him, but to deal with the, the products that comes out of his attacks against us. Fulfillment today. I'm talking about fulfillment, and God's not worrying about him. You see, now in this present time, Satan can't even come to heaven anymore unless he's invited. He can't even get there anymore unless God says, okay, you can come on up here and talk to me now. You're the only one who has a right to walk into the throne room of God unchallenged. Even the, even the angels of heaven cannot approach God unless he summons them. But you can walk in anytime you want to. That's, how, that's what's purchased at the cross. Anytime you have a problem, you can walk in right into the throne room of God. Hallelujah. That ought to bring some joy to some of our hearts. I can walk into the presence of the God of gods. You see, Satan only has covenant latitude. Covenant latitude. He can't do anything that he doesn't have covenant latitude to do. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill. He's come to provide and to sustain and to bring fulfillment into our lives. 
Deliverance is a covenant out of a covenant right with a, with a Christian. Needs fulfilled in your life are covenant rights. Satan has no right to come against your covenant prosperity. Jesus has come to fulfill one of the basic functions of the transition that Jesus brought from Judaism to Christianity was the conserving the values of the past. He says, I didn't come to destroy all those things. Everything that was good from creation beginning until the time that Jesus came, he says, I'm not going to destroy any of the good things. I'm just come to fulfill those things. I'm going to keep the value of things that were good. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, much of the faith and much of the worship and much of, of Israel was consumed with the remembering of what God had done for them. And, and I tell you, frankly, it's good for us today to remember what God has done. In worship, in praise, we remember what God has done. In, 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 in coming to God, Israel, in, in every form of their worship and their praise, in getting to God, they remembered their deliverances. They, they remembered Adam and Eve. Why? Because, first of all, they were closer to the autograph. You know what I mean by that, right? The original. The original. They were closer to that. They didn't have all of the computers and things, so they had to keep reminding themselves from generation, from day to day, of who God was and what he was to them, what the promises were to them, who they could be in Christ, what was going to be theirs, how he had delivered them out of the past, how, how that when, when Jacob it, it took them down into Egypt, that there was a promise of coming out of that mess that was given to them. You think it was God's perfect will for them to spend 400 years in that kind of an environment? I tell you no. But while they were there, don't you know, well, you Bible students will know that when they went to Egypt, they really didn't have all that bad a deal. Right? You ever studied the, 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 the transition of the Nile River? Starts way down in Africa. And it flows, and the richest part of it is right where God put the children of Israel. Man, they had the most fertile ground. They, they grew the, all the things that when they got into the wilderness that they almost turned back into sin for. All of the things that tantalized the flesh, the onions and the leeks and all those kind of delicacies, the melons and that gave their life substance they had the spices hundreds of years thousands of well almost thousands of years before the the eastern world even started taking in, uh, insight into those things spices the cause for spices was what caused the world to be reached out for and expanded all those people who went who went searching for new worlds didn't do it because they had a great adventurous spirit it was all fed by greed for spices and goods that would make their palate more, more tenable to things that they were eating. And God gave those to the children of Israel how he had put them in the promised land. Even in an evil land, he had given them the best, the best. 
But they remembered how he brought them out of that, how he kept them through the sea, how he destroyed the Egyptians when they were in pursuit, how that God had kept them supernaturally in the wilderness. Can I tell you, these things are types and shadows to the church today. We've got to understand all of this mess that we see called the United States, called the world. That, this, this isn't our habitation. We're just locked into functioning in this thing. But God's bringing us out of this mess. And in the meantime, he wants you to have the best of where you are. Best of where you are. And when the pursuits come and the Egyptians start reaching out for you, God's got a Red Sea experience for you. Hallelujah. When, when your wilderness times come, the, what, the, the, what the wilderness accomplished in Israel was that it purged out doubt. That's what God's doing in our life. When the wilderness comes in your life, it comes for one purpose only. When God allows those things to come into your life, it is not so that he can test you how much you can take. What kind of a God would that be? If he laid hurts and stuff on you just to prove how strong you are in the natural. Come on, let's get serious. What he's doing, he's perfecting faith. Perfecting faith. Why? Because God knew that in types and shadows and what we learned from this people, well, he would have to develop a people who were so strong that they would believe God to be night if it looked like it was day. We don't, we're not supposed to worry how full our cupboards are. We're not supposed to worry whether our closets are bulging at the seams with all kind of apparel. The fact is, I, I, I'm probably meddling a little bit, but I think a lot of us sin in that area, to tell you the honest truth. Like the guy said, you don't need but one brown and one black dress. No, that's going a little bit too far. That's going too far. But I'm just saying, what I'm saying is that we're not of this. God is wanting to do a fulfillment work in us, and he's using Israel and what happened to them and the things that came up through that time until the cross, the covenant of Israel, what he gave them at Sinai when he told them, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And he told them about thou shalts and thou shalt not. And I tell you that he's perfecting that in the church today. The one thing that God wants to be in mind in your life is a supreme God to us. He wants to be our supreme God. You'll have no other gods before me. That's a shout and a shout not that was vetted to them. It's a shout and a shout not on this side of the cross to us. You can't have two gods. You can't serve both of them. Someplace the whole system will break down if you try to play those games. You can't walk one time in the church and one time in the world. One time in the church and one time in the world trying to walk along that fence. It won't, it, that, look like, that old dog won't hunt like the country preacher said. You can't do it. It'll bite you someplace. It'll jump up and bite you. There takes a commitment to God and a commitment to yourself. God wants you to be absolutely the best you can be. The best you can be. I pity people. I pity people who stop searching and stop stretching, stop learning, stop, stop desiring. How sad it is to see Christian brothers and sisters who are the same place they were 10 years ago. I hurt for them. And you say, 
Well, I won't do that. I can take you to them this morning. We could drive to them today. They stopped at some point. They were satisfied. They found a nice leafy tree, and they sat down under it, and they've been comfortable because the water was good. Things can turn around rapidly. We're not to burrow in. We're not to bore in and put down anchors in this life. We're not to put our roots deep into the things of this life. We're to put them deep into the things of God. The, the tap root of us doesn't go down. It goes into the throne room of God. That's where we get our source. Roots that have no... I used to, we used to live up, Dr. Ferentino and I, some of us up around here, of course we know about it here too, where the hurricanes came through. And the things that didn't have a root, they were the first ones to go. We had a great big old pretty tree in my backyard, a china bear tree. Used to love to climb and hide up in that thing as a boy. Didn't have any root to it. You don't, you don't see pine trees blown over. Hey, we need, when the times come, we need to be rooted in God. Jesus brought these things through us to the cross. The law, he says, the law will speak to you, Jesus says. It'll talk to you about hope. It'll talk to you about hope That's uh, to the lost ones. It'll even talk to fear about you. You know, you know the Word of God will talk to you about fear? Not the trembling fear, the ones who are righteous, the fear of God. I love talking about the fear of God to those who are righteous because it doesn't bother them one bit. It just drives them deeper into holiness. It's only to the unruly person that the law spoke to them. And it's only to the unruly on this side of the cross that the law speaks to today because Jesus brought that through the cross. He says, I, I didn't come seeking those who were okay. I didn't even come to minister to those who were okay. I came to minister to those who were sick and infirm and, and, and a little bit crippled and a little bit lame. One, one benefit that we have over Jacob was that, that we don't have to keep on living to keep reminding us of who God is because he speaks to us from the inward parts continually. And he never lets you get to the place where you are complete within yourself. No super Christians. No super Christians because the very time through understanding and brokenness of heart, we start elevating ourselves and our understanding and saying, God, I finally start seeing who I am in you. And he says, now let me show you something. And he takes you right back to the child in the spirit. Takes you right back to the childlike approach to him. He teaches us how to, to function. The law taught those who didn't know how to operate, how, how to get along with the law and through the law. The law was good. There was nothing wrong with the law. The Bible tells us that. It was perfect. People look at it and say, that old mean law that God gave. Ah, that law was righteous. Law was holy. Law was good. It's just how they got along with the thing. And all of that is in our inward parts today. And Christians, some Christians, if you were to go up to them and try to admonish them to be more in God, they'd think you were meddling and some of them might even punch you out. That's why you have to use just discerning of spirits when you try to minister to some people. Because, Lord, some people are so hard and callous that you can't get them to be everything they are in God. One of the ministries of a, of, of of a pastor is that sometimes you have to look at somebody and say, 
Brother or sister, you're, you're, you're involved in sin and you can't be everything you are in God unless you start dealing with that. And the first thing that goes to their mind, who in the world, you're not perfect, what are you telling me for? Because I've got the covenant right to do that. I've got the covenant anointing. I've got the responsibility. It's on this side of the cross. God commands us to do that. Not on me, but as a minister, but you to one another. Or to minister in love. The deficiencies. Why? Because if you're weak, I'm weak. Because I can't separate myself from you. You can't separate yourself from me. You might not like some of the things in my personality, and I don't understand how you couldn't do that. Because if there's one nice get-along person in here, I'm it. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm stretching the point a little bit, and some of you didn't buy all that, but some of you don't know me either because the only time we ever see each other is on Sunday morning. Whoops. You will never, never, ever know a ministry until you live and eat and sleep and, and hurt and cry and rejoice with it. And you can't do that once or twice a week. You can get excited and dance across the, across the platform and across the church, but honey, you'll never know what goes on in the inner working of a family that cries. We cried together in here the other night because one of the body, one or two of the body was hurting, but also, praise God, just before that we had had church. I used to have a, I don't know if there's a chapter or verse for it, but my feeling is that a family is never complete until they've weathered a few storms together. And I think the same thing happens in a church family. If everything is always going hunky-dory in the church, if they've got four or five millionaires that can pay off anything they need, you're looking at one of the sickest churches you'll ever see. You see, I don't think we're bonded together until we've weathered some storms. A husband and a wife are not bonded together until they've sat up together around a sick child's uh, bed or in a hurt when one of them, when they haven't gotten exactly what they thought or when they missed something that they thought would fulfill them. Or that bonding together when you weathered a few storms and a husband and a wife maybe had to agree in faith for something that looked impossible I've come to fulfill. And Jesus brought the fulfilling and the promises of God to us. And he was telling them and he's telling us that God, totality God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would come to them revealing himself to them in a face-to-face -face relationship. They had shied all the time before that and many of the church today don't want to say have a face-to-face -face relationship with God but Jesus said it's available to you it's one of the things I've got and this is one of the benefits that he was trying to teach them here on the on the Sermon on the Mount which is the first few verses of chapter 5 allude to that's what that's kind of what we always think about when we talk about chapter 5 of, of Matthew is the fact that it's the Beatitudes there's a lot more in there than Beatitudes if you stop on that you're gonna become frustrated you see, because the Beatitudes that you read in there, the blessings, these were glorious things. They were beautiful things. He talked to them about being at comfort. He talked to them about their inheritance. He talked to them about finding uh, a fulfillment for their hunger and for their, uh, for their thirst. But all of these, if you read them, he says, you shall. And if, 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 
if conjugation of verbs mean anything, that means something that's going to be in the future. Promises, promises that are future will only bring frustration in your, your life if they stay in the future tense. You get that? <laughs> Anything in your life, any, I don't care how glorious the promise of God is, if it only stays future tense, it will frustrate. Boy, that's good. You can chew on that one. I'm telling you. Jesus came to give us a face-to-face -face God. In the Old Testament, when covenant was made, the participants stood looking to, uh, at each other face-to-face, nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe. When they cut the covenant, when they made the covenant, they didn't look at each other in the eye. I, I have a little problem with people who are shifty-eyed. People won't, won't look me in the eye and tell me what they're thinking. I have to wonder. Now, I know a lot of people are plagued by all kinds of phobias and things, but God ought to get, get them deliverance from it. We ought to be able to look somebody in the eye and tell them exactly what we think in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Too many times we want to give people what we think outside the Holy Ghost. But in the old covenant, when they cut the covenant, when they made the covenant, they stood facing each other toe-to-toe -to -toe and nose-to-nose, -nose, looking each other in the eye and promising what they would commit to that covenant. And Jesus came bringing that kind of a relationship to man. When Moses entered the tabernacle, he saw a, a God that he spoke to face to face and had no problem with that. When Isaiah placed himself on the face of the uh, Zarephath woman's dead son and he breathed on him, he was in a face to face marriage type of symbolic relationship. And when he breathed, just like we did down here. Occasionally, God will let... Now, some of this stuff that we see people breathing, I think a lot of that's flesh. But occasionally, God will let me breathe on somebody. And you see, because there's a spiritual truth there, and if we're led by the Spirit, life comes in those kinds of situations. First, mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation that we have recorded. Just got his mouth down there and breathed life in there. Why? Because he was a Spirit-anointed individual. Every time the breath comes out of you, it's coming from around your inward man. You are breathing, breathing God-anointed promises, hope, faith-filled words. That's why, that, that's why it puts a, it'll put a bridle in our mouth sometime by our own will when I realize that the things that I speak are coming from the very heart of God. Why? Because I am not presumptuous or pious enough that I can't say that what's on the inside of me is God and what comes out of me is God and when it doesn't look like God and sound like God the first thing it does is drive me to my knees and reminds me of who I ought to be representing in everything the inflections of my eyes and the inflections of my voice and when I don't measure up, not to what people think of me, but what the Holy Spirit thinks of me, then that's when I have to do some self-evaluation. I've come to fulfill, Jesus said, at the salvation of man, God breathed 
in a face-to-face relationship with this man, and life came into that. He was perfecting this face-to-face, this covenant, this, this forerunner, this type and shadow of what he was going to do as he ministered face-to-face in these situations leading to the time that would come like in Acts 17 when it says God that made the worlds and all therein dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need anything. It's a startling revelation sometimes when people have to realize God doesn't need your money in the offering plate. And when we encourage people to give tithes and offering, it's not so we can extract a couple of bucks out of them. Hey, this thing, if it's of God, nobody can hold it back. And if it's not of God, you can pump millions of dollars into it, and it'll go right down the drain. We're just trying to, to get people blessed, get God's fulfilling them. He says, Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all and breathe. All things, all things, covenant promises we're talking about, heavenly fulfillment or earthly fulfillment, we're finding out. The writer of Hebrews says, we have the right to come boldly unto the throne of grace. We have the right to come boldly. Our coming boldly is not... A surprise to God either. We sometimes act like when we walk into the throne room of God that we just stepped out of, uh, out of this earthly thing and just walked into the presence of God. And we're just all of a sudden uh, an intruder there and everything in heaven's got to stop just because we're there. No, that's, that's, not, that's not the connotation that God gives at all. The connotation is that we have a right to be there because he, God's used to seeing us there every day, every moment of every day. All he has to look is just look on the other side of Jesus, and he sees me sitting there. Hey, I'm already there. It's no surprise to God when I, when I come into his presence because I'm always in his presence. I don't, I don't leave earth and go in, into, into heaven. All I'm doing is getting recognized by God. The amazing thing is God can minister to every one of his creatures, creation's needs at the same time. That's a, beautiful, that's a beautiful understanding how God operates in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and more dimensions. We don't understand that fully because we're only limited to about four. But God operates in as many dimensions as he needs. Infinity. That's how he can walk through walls. He didn't really walk through the hard stuff. He just operated in a way that we're going to learn to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. Fact is, there's certain circumstances where we can do it right now. When old Philip was translated from one place to the other, he probably went through that dimension where he passed through the trees and the houses and all that kind of stuff. You know, he didn't go up over the housetop. He just went, he just went there, line of sight, direct, express. God stamped him express. That's the way we're functioning. You say, well, that's just a, that's figurative language, or that's just a, just something that God designed to do on that one particular occasion. Then you're making God a respecter of persons. I got him on the hook. I've got God on the hook. 
If he did it for them, he's got to do it for me if it fits into his will. And as I yield my will to his will, I find that he opens up his will more and more to me. We are constantly having a face-to-face relationship with God now in the spirit man. In the spirit man. We need to establish the dominance of our spirit person when we're operating with God. The thing with most Christians is that we see ourselves as walking around flesh people carrying inside of us a spirit person who has to really work at getting to hear from God. We, we need to reverse that process and see ourselves as a spiritual person walking around captive in a body, but we can, we can have liberty in the spirit all the time. We're going to go through the same experience that Jesus did. God's going to modify this thing to where it's not limited by time, space, or objects, or materialism, or anything else. I don't know, either, either you're thinking about that one, digesting it, or maybe the realization just hasn't really sunk into you of what God has planned for you. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. And if we stop right there, we'd have a problem. But he says the Holy Spirit has revealed it to your, not to your, not to your physical man, not to your soulish man, because they can't hack it. They can't understand it. He shows it to your spiritual man. Shows it to your spiritual person, because it's only the spiritual person that can discern the things of God. He speaks to us spirit to spirit. Spirit to spirit, your soulish part of you is being renewed. This body of ours most of the time lags behind the other two parts of our composition because our faith is a little bit weak, and it's, God is constantly building it up. But the more we learn about who we are, the healthier we get in every facet of our being. Face-to-face relationship. A covenant relationships, our spirit man becoming dominant, God fulfilling us, bringing fulfillment. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy. And we put, the law was put in there, but you can make it a blanket statement. God didn't come to destroy anything in your life except the works of Satan. But the rest of it, he came to enhance. You people who work with computers will know what that means means get it more discernible, get it more real, give it more dimension, get it, give it more depth, give it more perception, get it to where you can see it and evaluate it better. We look at, uh, at the enhanced radar returns of the weather around us. They can give you the height and the width and, width and, the, and the depth and the severity of it. One, one, one part's one color and another part's another color and another part's another color as it relates to intensity. God, that's what God wants to do to us. We, we'll get to where we can realize the intensity of a person. Can I tell you who are spiritual? You won't be around people very long in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and grow in the Spirit before you can look at somebody and discern how spiritual they are. Are you making a judgment? Well, yeah, in a way you are. The Spirit is giving you the, uh, the spirit of discernment of how, how, to adjust, how to evaluate. Why is that necessary? Because you've got to know how to minister laterally to people. If you're a Ph.D. and you're ministering to a, to a, a high school dropout, you better be led of the Spirit. Better be led of the Spirit. 
If you've never touched a drop of alcohol and you're ministering to an alcoholic, if you've never had drugs pumped into your veins and you're ministering to a drug addict who's ever, whoever facet of their being is crying for something external to give them a little more life, you better be in the Spirit or you'll blow it. Face-to-face I'm talking about. Face-to-face God operating with you. I've come to fulfill, Jesus said. Sure, there was salvation, deliverance, and prosperity in the law. But Jesus brought all of those things onto this side of the cross and enhanced those things in our life, in our inward parts. There's a witness to the things of God. Uh, John 16 says, The Holy Spirit shall receive of mine and show it unto you. You see, in the Spirit, there's never a lack of knowledge. There's never a lack of insight. There's never a lack of power. Glory to God. Glory to God. Never a lack. Never a lack. Never a lack. Especially in the ministry area. But God wants you to be fulfilled. And the reason that Jesus told Peter to get him behind him, it goes on to say because Peter wasn't savoring the things of God. When, when Jesus has to look at us, he, he, he wasn't telling Peter to get behind him. He was telling the, the, the operation of Peter to get behind him. Why? Because Peter wasn't walking in the deep things of God. He had lost sight of who, what, what the promise was, what had brought through, up through, through Jesus' time, through his heritage. Because he had, wasn't savoring the things of God. And you look up that word savoring, you're going to see that it means the exercising of the mind to be of the same mind. Peter should have been walking just like that with Christ. Just like that with Christ. My Lord, he had seen him heal. He had seen him work miracles. He had seen him deliver. He had seen him walk on water. But yet there was that doubt when he should have been just walking right in faith with him and agreeing with him. The same premise worked then. Jesus was trying to draw out the apostles' faith so that they could believe with his perfect faith. That's why sometimes we need one another in the faith to bolster each other's faith. There's times ministering at the altar when I'll say to a certain person, come believe with me. Come believe with me for this. Sometimes their faith needs to see God work. Sometimes I just feel a strong attack that we need to, to minister into an individual. I've come to fulfill, Jesus said. He says in John 16, when the Spirit has come... He'll not destroy, but He'll fulfill. He'll guide you into truth, and He's going to take the things that are mine, and He's going to show them unto you. Man, I don't have to wonder what God's doing. I don't have to wonder what the Word says to me. I don't, wonder, I don't have to wonder how the Word of God is going to work in a given situation or if it's going to work in a given situation. He says, I'll show all things unto you. He shows them to me. I've got to perceive what they are. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill these things, this, this wonder. I've come to show you a God who's face to face. I've come to show you a God who's going to be on this side of the cross operating with faith people. What did he come to fulfill? 
He came to fulfill the Word of God, all the promises, all the hopes, all the faith, all the authority. Did He do it for God's sake? No, He didn't do it for God's sake. God knows He can do these things. He did it for mine and your sake. So that these things can be fulfilling to us now. He came to fulfill the Word of God, but He came also to complete the things of God. Hmm. His creation is in travail now. The church is in travail now. Because Jesus said, I wanted to be one as you and I are one, Father. He said, I want a church that the gates of, gates of hell can't prevail against. And those are available to us. And he's talking about our future complete, but too, when he says, I'm going to make it complete, that God can be all in all. And we know that time's coming when God will, in fact, be all in all. The knowledge of the Lord is going to fill all the earth. It's going to happen. Jeremiah saw it when he says, Behold, the days come I will make a new covenant, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, that this shall be the covenant I will put my law in their inward parts and write it upon their hearts. Two actions. I'll put my law in their inward parts and I'll write it up in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That time is now. Now listen, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if you don't know it, I'm going to teach you something. I, I, I didn't know it this vein. I believe it's going to be a, something that will encourage you today. Jesus came to fulfill, not to destroy you don't have to live half full. You don't have to live half complete. You don't have to live half at peace, half at joy, half prosperous. Your prosperity is not my prosperity. I don't have any desire to have a big bank account so I can buy the best house in Jacksonville. I just got rid of my last house. I, I, my last one I had, I mean. And God gave me, then you have to pay the income tax on that. God worked it out. He says, I'm making a new covenant. I'll write it inside of you. Jesus came to fulfill. Now hang with me. You don't have to live half anything, half alive, half prosperity, half at peace. And now this is the good part. You don't have, a live, have to live according to your father's old covenant. Now, now, give me your attention now. You don't have to live according to your father's old covenant. You see, my father in the natural had a covenant with God. I don't want my father's covenant with God. I want to perfect it. Because my father didn't know a lot of things about who he was in Christ. My natural father. You're not tied to your natural father's covenant. Maybe they wounded you. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe you were abused. If you don't, you know somebody who was. Maybe they lived in poverty. Maybe they didn't have a whole lot. Maybe they were satisfied with a compromised amount. I don't want my father's covenant. And it says, I cannot have that. And he says, I can have the rights and authority to be greater, not, not greater than my father, not better, okay? I can have a greater covenant than my father had. 
in the natural, and I can have it also in the spiritual. You see, the person who got me birthed into the body of Christ. Now, don't get super spiritual and say it was the Holy Ghost. I know that. I know that. I'm just saying the person who led me to God in the spiritual had a compromised covenant with God. They didn't know who they were. I can have a better covenant than they had, not a greater covenant. I can have a better covenant. I can enjoy better benefits than my father naturally had or that my spiritual father had. Does that do anything for you? When the Holy Ghost gave me that, it just, it just lightened up my day. Now, I hadn't known that. I've preached it a thousand different ways. I've turned it over, and I've warmed it, and I've, I've put it together in other things. But it just kind of spoke to me. I'm not limited to my Father's covenant. Is fulfillment heavenly or earthly? Jesus put it into our hearts. It's written in our inward parts. You really don't have to have anybody tell you who you are in God. They sometimes have to explain to you how you can get to be what God wants you to be. But the Holy Spirit is telling you who you are. The Holy Spirit never tells the first Christian that they are a down and out old sinner just saved by grace. You're a beggar walking through this life just hanging on waiting for heaven. Holy Spirit's never told anybody that. But after they've played with their mind for a while, they get to the end of that junk. The Holy Spirit all the time tells us that, that we walk in authority, that we walk in power, that everything we touch is blessed, that we're blessed going out and we're blessed coming in according to covenant rights. You, don't, you and I don't have any rights in our natural just because we're born again, have accepted Christ, only thing that accepting Christ does is get us to be beneficiaries of the covenant of God. Of what my Father says I can be. I was created to operate in heavenly fulfillment of knowing who Christ is, who the Christ of God is. Is the Jesus Christ of the Bible just a man who's still walking the dusty path? Some, to some people he is. And if he's just that, they'll never grow in God. If he's still the poor little beautiful little baby in the manger who looks like a little cherub, they'll never be who they are in God. If they still got him on the cross, He'll, they'll never be who they are in Christ. They have got to see him now re-garmented re with all of his majesty, with all of his power, everything that he was before he came to take on the veil of flesh. But even more than that, now he is clothed with a renewed body that can discern the good things of God and be touched with you and, uh, and show you how the covenant functions in your life. The real Christ of God. It's in our hearts. In my heart I can know and do all things through Christ. I know that. Don't tell me I can't do all things through Christ. I don't buy that anymore. I don't have to go to a man. I don't have to go to a person. I don't have to go to an institution. I am not tied because I know what I can do, and I can do all things through Christ. I know in my inward side, man, that I can spoil principalities and power and triumphant over them. 
It's no contest when Satan and I get into a debate when I allow myself to debate him. Satan does not have the right to debate me unless I allow it. And then we only go so far and I start telling him who I am in Christ and that I have authority over him, that I have the right to spoil him and his kingdom anytime I want. And it's not up to him to judge my righteousness as to whether I'm worthy or not. It's up to Jesus. And I know who I am in Christ. I am fulfilled. When I'm down in all the blessings of Matthew 5, don't seem to be mine. I can recognize who the Christ is, what I am, and those things are no more future shall be. They are now, they are mine's. Came to fulfill. When I didn't tend to be proud, I'm refined, reminded that when I see my ministry do certain things, when I lay hands and see people rise up, when I speak blessings, when words of knowledge come, and I tend to get a little bit proud, and don't tell me you don't do it. That's the times when I have to remind myself, it is not I, it's the Father in me. He doeth the work. And the winds go out of my sails. And I'm back into that childlike place once more. I've come to fulfill. When the questions come, I still hear that well done, good and faithful servant ringing in fact as well as in promise. And I feel fulfilled. Would you stand with me? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of thy Lord, and let's don't take and make that just future when we stand before the beam of Christ and he speaks that to us. This is an operational benefit that we can have every day. When we conquer, Jesus says, okay, you're conquerors. Now enter into the joys of your Lord. Go in and take what you've conquered. And like Israel, there will be times when God will say to you, you can't keep any part of the spoil. But there will be other times he'll say, take all of it. Just give me this portion. And everybody that I read in this thing who made that kind of covenant agreement with God they ended up blessed. They ended up prosperous, not only in heavenly things, but in pragmatic, practical things that you can take to the bank in the form of a check, and you can cash it, money you can carry in your pocket, credit cards that don't bounce. Yeah, I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you that you're not a God who destroys today. You're not a God that steals the peace from our minds. You're not a God who robs of our, of our young, of our health, of, of, our, of our joy and our happiness in you. But, Father, you're a God who has told us that I can have fulfillment. The question, is it heavenly or earthly? And the answer is yes. I can have it in all of those areas. Jesus didn't come to destroy. He came to fulfill. Total fulfillment in heaven. Total fulfillment in our life today. And we give 
give you praise. Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands with me today and praise God that he's the God who's leading you out and bringing you in. He's the God who's blessing your life. He's the God who is prospering you. He is the God who's always there. When you're hurting, he's the God that brings healing in his wings. He's the God that restores. He's the God that brings abundance. He's the God who goes out with you and comes in with you. He sleeps with you. He rises up with you. He gives you joy. He puts the song in your heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's had something for you today. Hallelujah. 